It's our privilege this morning to have with us Jamie Levi, and she is here, um, going to preach this morning. She's going to bring the word, and we're I'm excited to have you here. Um, she might talk about the elephant in the room here. Um, we were sort of having bets on whether she was going to go into labor during the first service. So for those of you who bet on that, you lost. She's still with us here, so we're excited. Um, and Jad, her husband's here, and he, if you've ever um, been participated in Alpha, he heads up the Alpha program for this area. So we're excited. Um, I encourage you after the service to greet them and find out more about what ministry they're involved with. But Jamie, come and preach it, sister. And yes, um, the elephant in the room came up because um, I know everybody in the first service was wanting to know uh, the secret to me being so slim right now. <laughs> and, and, I, and I had to share that it was all the crunches I've been doing, the Nestle's crunches from my kids' treat bags from Halloween, the Nestle's crunches. Now, I am, I am due soon. Actually, three weeks from today is our due date, so it's coming up very quickly, and everybody keeps asking if I'm ready, and I'm like, are you ever really ready? It just, but it happens, right? <laughs> it comes whether you're ready or not. Well, it's good to be with you here today. And um, when Pastor Doug contacted us about coming this morning, um, I was really excited. I, I, again, I shared with the first service that it's, for me, always a joy and a privilege to be able to come and to uh, worship and to be with other parts of the body of Christ. And um, even people from different traditions and backgrounds, and for all of us to come together and to worship together is one of the great joys of being able uh, to do ministry, of getting the privilege of, of doing ministry. And so um, it's an honor and a privilege for me to be with you all here this morning, and thanks for having me. As we get into the Word today, we're going to be looking at a verse that, that many of you are probably familiar with. Uh, I'm sure you've heard it before mostly during the Advent and Christmas season, and while we might be a little bit early for that, um, I think that there's still something in here for us this morning that we can learn as we go through the text and we uh, look at it. I think uh, God wants to maybe reveal something to us in a different way this morning, something that um, reveals more about who God is and God's uh, desire for us in the world, even now. So as we look at this verse, um, we're going to be looking at John, well, we're going to be looking at specifically at John uh, chapter 1, verse 14, but because it's only one verse, I want to look at verses 1 through 14 so we can get a little context for what's being said here. And um, this is going to help us as we go this morning. And I also think that uh, Pastor Jack had shared with me that, um, that you guys have been in a series about the kingdom of God versus the, the kingdom of the world, kingdom of man. And so I think this kind of gives us a, a perspective, kind of brings us up a little bit and gives us a wider perspective of what God, God's kingdom might look like for us uh, here on earth in a very practical way as we go forward this morning. So let's go ahead and begin at uh, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. 
He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And here is the focus for us today. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. So God, we're so, so grateful to be in your presence this morning. So grateful that your spirit is present with us already in this place. But we invite you to come and fill this room even more with your glory, with your presence. That we might encounter uh, the living God in a transformative way this morning. Where we would be challenged, where we would be transformed, and we would be encouraged in what you're doing in and through our lives. So this morning we offer our worship to you in all that we do. And uh, even in this time of the proclaimed word, we ask that um, you would receive this as an offering of worship to you today. And I pray that uh, you would move beyond anything I could say to the heart, penetrating to the heart of each person here, including myself, that by the time we leave, we would look more like you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many of you here are campers? We have some campers. Oh, a few. There were quite a few more in the first service, huh? Um, campers. Well, I know there are different degrees of camping for people, um, and, and different people would call camping one thing um, than another group of people would call it. Um, but I, I like to do what people these days are calling glamping. Glamping. Are you, are you familiar with glamping? So it's more like a glamorous kind of camping. I don't necessarily have to be in a hotel, although a hotel is nice. But I, I, and, I, and I do like camping, and I think it creates good memories. We camp often, as often as we can. I shouldn't say often. As often as we can with our girls because we know that it creates memories, and it's a good thing, and it's family time and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't like to camp where there aren't um, where there isn't access to like basic necessities like bathrooms and electricity and a shower, those things are important to me. So, so many people would actually say that that's not really camping. Um, I told actually a friend one time that we were going camping and they said, do you use an air mattress? And I said, yeah. And they said, you don't camp. <laughs> I thought, well, I think that's camping. <laughs> My back hurts if I don't use the air mattress, right? But yeah, so, so for me, I, I do like the glamping. I like the basic necessities. And, and, and this appreciation started for me, though, when I was young. Because I grew up in a family where there were five of us kids. There were four boys and myself. And we usually had at least, at least one to two other 
kids, usually boys, hanging around with us, like even going on vacations with us and kids that would stay the weekend at our house. And my house was just like the revolving door for kids. And so we always had extra kids with us. And so it wasn't really an option for us to do um, the hotel thing because my parents weren't also very um, wealthy. Uh, money was usually a struggle for us with all, with all of us and what we had going on. Um, but we always could go camping. And we had this pop-up camper that we shared with another family um, member of ours. And we would take this pop-up camper out uh, every year in the summer during summer vacation. And we would go out for usually two or three weeks to a certain part of the country. And we would drive and camp and drive and camp and drive and camp. And, um, and in that time, and we did that often, like I said, and, and in that time there were uh, some good memories there, there were a few, um, but I have to say there were also a lot of crazy, ridiculous things. There was always, it, let me put it this way, it was always an adventure. And my husband always says, it's only an adventure if you don't want to be on it at least once. <laughs> Did I get it right? That's how it's said, right? And, and that was usually us, but usually more than once. So it was like two or three times we didn't want to be on the trip. <laughs> so we always had these things that, that came up that were kind of crazy, and in fact, um, my maiden name is Waldron, and we used to joke about the fact that we could have had our own series and or added a movie to the Griswold movies, you know, like the vacations they would go on, and they would get into all these crazy situations. So we would always joke about ourselves being the Griswoldrons, because <laughs> we always had a crazy story to tell at the end of the trip. Uh, this, one, this one trip in particular... And I won't go into all the details, but just to give you an example, we had gone up to uh, Canada, and we were, I'm from the Midwest, from the Chicagoland area, um, right, northwest Indiana, right outside Chicago, and we drove up through Canada, and we're coming back around through New York and down Pennsylvania and all the way through, and we were at the Grand, or not the Grand Canyon, we were at Niagara Falls, <laughs> Grand Canyon's here, we were at the Ni <laughs> We were at the Ni Niagara Falls, and we were on the Canadian side, and um, long story short, our min minivan was hit by a charter bus, and normal people would probably stay there and get it fixed, but not my family. We decided that we're going to continue on with the trip, so we drove all the way through the other states and continued on for another week and a half in this this minivan that was completely crushed in in the side with my dad's driver's seat pushed up like this so he had to drive all the way back this way and then the window was down so the window was broken inside of the door so we had a, a, a garbage bag with duct tape around the door to keep out the rain because it's the midwest and it and and the east and it was raining a lot in summer and then we had toll roads are y'all familiar with toll roads so then you have to like pull up and throw money, but we couldn't, so we'd have to stop early, and my mom would have to get out and run around the front of the car and throw the change in, and cars would be honking, and all the kids would disappear in the back because we were mortified. These are the kind of things that were just normal to us. <laughs> this, this, this was our life. But in all of the craziness and all of the funny, ridiculous things that happened to us, there was something about camping that I didn't appreciate until I got older. And I really started to be able to look at it through a new lens. You see, when we would go to these campgrounds and we would set up our camper, our pop-up, it was, it was a big ordeal. We would have to go and um, 
my dad always struggled with getting the, the, the camper on the parking pad that you have, you know, you're just trying to maneuver it and get it in there. And so it was this long process, but he had to get it right on the parking pad. And then we had to crank it up and pop open the sides and put the sheets on and take for the beds and then take out everything that we had stored in there so that we could set up camp for the next few days. And it was this huge process of creating a living space that we could be in as a family for a few days while we camped there. And it was almost like we were putting down roots for a few days because we had all of our cooking stuff and food and um, it was just this major ordeal. But it wasn't just us, it was, it was all the other people in the campground as well. So they were there setting up or already had set up and, and oftentimes we could hear them and we could hear uh, their kids playing or we could hear their conversations and we always joked they could for sure hear ours because we had uh, four boys or more and usually they were wrestling in the camper or something was going on and so we know they could always hear us as well. Uh, you could even smell their food, the, the breakfast cooking or the dinner cooking as you were out and about because people were in their living space for a few days. And there was a community aspect to it that you don't really have when you go and you check into a hotel and you stay behind a closed door. Because what we were doing is literally setting up camp with other people. And we would often get to know those other families and other people as we, the longer we stayed there especially. And we would visit with them and sometimes end up eating with them or fishing with them. Or, but, but it was very communal in that way. Different than what we experience so often now in going to hotels and staying behind the door. And so you see, when I read John here, this chapter 1, verse 14, I see this kind of as a picture of what was happening when we were camping all the time, going and setting up camp with other people. Because it says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So John is telling us that the word of God, the message of God, uh, the message, this message of God came in the form of Jesus Christ uh, to, set, to set up a tent, to pitch a tent with us, to dwell in a tent among us. This is what Jesus came to do. That's what it means. It means that, that God himself, when he, the word became flesh, it means that God himself became incarnate and took on flesh like us and became human to live as one of us, to live in community with us, to set up camp with us in our neighborhoods. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to our neck of the woods for a time so that we would have the opportunity to see God's glory and to experience firsthand his grace and truth in our lives. You see, what John is telling us in this one verse is telling us so much more about God than what first meets the eye. He's telling us that God is not content to stay distant from us. God is not content to give a shout out and say, hey, I'm over here, come to where I am. God is literally going to where we are to meet us where we are to move into our neighborhood to be with us as one of us crossing the lines of comfort and safety and to move to the other side of the tracks to be with us this is powerful and it's important and it's a transformative message for our lives when we really catch hold of it 
Can you imagine that the God of the universe becomes one of us, like us, so that, so that the places of darkness in our lives can experience light, and, and that those who are lost can be found, and that those who are broken can be healed, and those who are mourning can be comforted because of the presence of God in Jesus Christ becomes an experienced reality for us here and now in our midst. What this tells us about God is that we, we have a God who is missional. A missional God. There is a mission in the heart of God to go out and to go after. Jesus comes after each one of us right where we are and meets us in our mess to get dirty with us, to become like us for the purpose of bringing us the good news. That while we still have to wait for its fullness to come, that even now the kingdom of God has already come and we can experience it here in this moment manifest right now. God comes in flesh and crosses all kinds of boundary lines to meet you and to meet me right where we are. This is the kingdom of God. This is the upside down nature of the kingdom of God, that the God of the universe would come and live and be one of us, not in earthly power, as a king who takes over and overthrows government, but in humility, even to the point of death on a cross, seeking to transform our lives. Not necessarily from the outside, changing our circumstances and making everything easy for us or making things safe for us or free from problems, but from the inside. Standing in transformative solidarity with us in the middle of our mess, or I probably should say in spite of our mess. It's transformative solidarity. It's coming to where we are, standing in solidarity, in unity with us in order to transform us in that moment. And notice what John says. Jesus doesn't just only come with truth as the truth to tell us how broken we are or how messed up we are or how much we're in need of a Savior, although all of that is part of the truth. But what John tells us is, is that Jesus comes from the Father full of grace and truth. He is full of grace. Jesus, who has every ability to bring condemnation and shame, chooses to move into our neighborhoods, our lives, and our mess to, to cross all kinds of boundary lines and move out of this place of safety and comfort to free us up from the exact thing that, that he has the power to do. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So Jesus has the power to bring condemnation into our lives. And the exact thing that he has the power to do, he chooses not to do. He is full of grace, full of favor and love, and, and he meets us right where we are. It doesn't mean that we don't have truth. We need truth in our lives, but it has to be covered in grace. And this is who Jesus is, and he meets us where we are in our neck of the woods with this gift, the gift of life that's given to us in grace. A gift of truth that brings life, but only given in grace. I heard a quote not so long ago from Ravi Zacharias, who many of you probably have heard of before. He's an apologist and 
talks about science and faith and all these things and travels around the world sharing this. And, and he, said, he said this about truth. Truth that is not undergirded by love makes the truth obnoxious and the possessor of it repulsive. That, that seems to be true. When somebody tries to point something out to me or tell me something in a harsh way, it's much more difficult to accept than somebody who shares something. And I can really genuinely sense the love and care and concern in their voice. Truth, but only in grace. And we see that so clearly with Jesus in his life and ministry. He came as the truth, with the truth, but it was all rooted in grace. It was all rooted in grace. It was rooted in grace that comes out of a purity of love that Jesus had for each of us. And so what this tells us is we have a missional God. We have a missional God who moves into our neighborhoods to be with us, to stand in transformative solidarity with us, full of grace and truth. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing for us. This is where the turning point is for us. This is, this is how the kingdom of God becomes a reality even now amongst us. Even while we're living in the kingdom of the world and amongst the kingdom of man. The kingdom of God is made manifest in this way. If this is God, if God is a missional God who seeks to go and to dwell among the other to make himself one of us, to stand in transformative solidarity with us. And if, if Jesus is our model and our examples, then, then, then we as believers, as the body of Christ then, are called to be missional people as well. To walk in the example of Jesus. In going across the tracks. In going to dwell with others, to pitch a tent to set up camp with other people. To go out and to go after. To not wait for people to come to us. And I have to tell you, as, as someone who grew up in the church, I, I was in the church my whole life through, from a baby on. And wasn't always walking with the Lord, but was always in and around the church. In fact, my backyard, I physically grew up at the church. I, my backyard, where my parents still live, uh, backs up to the church parking lot. And so from the back door of my house to the back door of the church, it's like less than a 20-second walk. <laughs> my mom, I shared with the first service, she could look out the kitchen window and see my brothers climbing the church steeple from the, from the window and would yell, get down. <laughs> but as someone who grew up in the church and heard maybe similar messages before or was challenged to in some way be Jesus in the world. I would have always shaken my head in agreement and said, yes, yes, that's right, that's true. But, but it's a whole other thing for, for, for it to move from our head to our heart to a conviction that moves us not just to saying, yes, we agree, to ascribe to a certain idea, but to it, for it to go down deep inside of us where it becomes a conviction and moves us into action and changes the way that we relate and, and are present in the world around us to people. 
You see, the mission of God is not just for missionaries who go overseas somewhere. And I love the fact that you have that going on. I've been on so many mission trips, and that's really a passion of mine. I loved hearing that you had people just coming back from Kenya, people going to Mexico. We need those things. But this message is not for people who go other places. This message is for us right now, right in the here and now, in our present world where we live. The mission of God is calling each of us to get out from behind our walls, our prejudices, our gated communities, whether literal or metaphorical, to move from those places that we feel safe, to step into the unknown, to move into the neighborhoods and the lives of those who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who don't believe like us, who aren't from the same political affiliation as us, and whom around we aren't always safe. This is what God is calling us to. This is what it means for us to be the people of God. To be on mission, God's mission for the kingdom of God in the world. This is what God is calling us to. And I have to tell you, the mission of God isn't safe. This is important for us to understand. Because I can tell you, and I know from my own experience in my own life, we spend so much time in our world trying to be safe, trying to be comfortable. What's going to be good? What's going to be best for these things that we miss out on so much of what God is challenging us to and calling us to? Because the reality is, is that when God came down from heaven in the form of Jesus, the person of Jesus, to be crucified on the cross, it wasn't safe. When the disciples of Jesus went out to foreign lands and they went out to, to bring the good news to people who, who God was calling them to bring it to, people who were different and maybe would have a different response, they would end up being martyred and crucified and beheaded and it wasn't safe for them. And when we, we become the body of Christ that we are called to be and we live into the kingdom of God, it isn't safe or it isn't always comfortable for us. In fact, it's most likely going to take us to places that stress us in our thinking. It's going to take us to places where, where our, our ability and our capacity to love is challenged. It's going to challenge our ability to extend grace to other people and to bring us into new situations that we're, not just, we're just not sure how to, how to deal with. It means that to be the body of Christ in the kingdom of God, we are called to be a missional people serving a missional God. And now I know this doesn't uh, manifest itself in, all, in, in looking the same for everybody. I understand that. For my husband and I, I, I shared again that, it, that for us, it took on the form of literally um, being moved <laughs> and challenged into a new space. We moved from a suburb to moving into the city to begin a new church. Because for us, this became the conviction of what God was calling us to, to live out in the world as a missional people. And now we live um, in the downtown area amongst a group of people that are as diverse as you could possibly imagine. And our neighbors are not, I'm sure, uh, close to any of the neighbors in terms of their living style and their faith or any of those things as the people in our suburbs are, were before. <laughs> but I understand that's not going to look the same for everybody. That's how it has come to, to pass in our own lives. But the fact is, is that the mission doesn't change for each of us, no matter where we're at. Because wherever you live, whatever you do for your living, 
whatever uh, family you're a part of or wherever you're at, there is something that is going to be the same for each of us. Our mission is to cross the boundary lines and, and so often these so often, let's be honest, the, the, bound, the things that we call boundary lines are walls that we have put up between us and other people. Walls to keep people out. To keep ourselves from integrating into the other. But the mission is to cross those lines, to cross those walls, and to pitch a tent and set up camp with those who we perceive to be different than us. This is the kingdom of God. And the truth is, if we're honest, in our humanity, we have more in common, we have more of a common identity with those people that we call the other than we really like to admit. In fact, it is in our shared identity that we don't really get the option of separating one from the other. That option gets eliminated. We don't get the option of putting ourselves above someone else or trying to create a wall so that we can feel better about ourselves or look at ourselves as better than someone else. It's so easy to get caught up in comparing <laughs> what one person is doing in our own lives and what we believe something should be or should not be and using that to justify the way that we live. You hear what I'm saying this morning? We're called to go and to stand in transformative solidarity with, with people who are different than us. Not so they become like us. That's not the goal, for them to become like us. The goal is to stand in transformative solidarity with them because they are us. They are us. They might be in a different place in life right now. They might look different in appearance than we do. They might look different differently in, in, in the socioeconomic way, but they are us, born into a different circumstance with different experiences and different responses to those experiences. And we don't get the option of saying those people or them and creating this wall of separation and division as if we're somehow above. Because that's not representative of the kingdom of God. And the, and the truth is, is that when we talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God being manifest here on earth, and it's already here in, in the present, even though its fullness is still to come, it's already here. The only way that we can see the kingdom of God continue to be manifest here on earth is when we as the body of Christ, when we as the body of Christ stop uh, expressing uh, for others When we, when we stop looking at others as the other and we stop expressing our feelings out of pity or out of personal need for comfort because we want everyone to be uniform, but when we actually approach people in, in a way of genuine compassion and love that sees ourselves in the eyes of the other, that might be different than us, that might look different than us, that might act different than us, that might have a different way of living than us. This is how we're going to see real transformation in the world. I read a, a quote recently by Alan Hirsch, 
And he said this about being missional and about the kingdom of God. He said, a missional community is patterned after what God has done in Jesus Christ. In the incarnation, God sent his son. Similarly, to be missional means to be sent into the world. We do not expect people to come to us. It's about going out and about meeting people where they are and sharing the incarnational love of Jesus with them. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among them. But I would also add to this, and I know I know Alan Hirsch, who's a, a wonderful uh, writer and um, just an amazing missional thinker. But I would add to that the fact that it's not only about uh, sharing the incarnational love of Jesus with them. I would add that it's about incarnating ourselves, being ourselves the incarnate love of Jesus in the world and fulfilling the mission of God in the kingdom of God. So that we ourselves become the incarnate love of Jesus that dwelt among us and we now dwell among others so that the kingdom of God can be made manifest now. We are the tangible presence of Jesus in the world and this is our call. And I know this is, this is not the way the kingdom of the world usually works. The kingdom of the world is about power and control and about separation and division. And creating groups and naming them and putting people in boxes. But that's not the way of the kingdom of God. And so this morning as we start to wrap up, I just want to leave you with a few questions. Because I believe that the spirit is working here and moving and speaking to each of us in a unique way. So I want, I want to give you a couple of questions to think about that you can even take from this place and continue to consider and pray on and to rest in so that the Lord might speak to you through them. So the first is this, what does it look like for you to live out the mission of, of the kingdom of God in your world? If God is a missional God, what does it look like for you as the people of God to live out the mission of the kingdom of God in your world? To the people where you live. To the people in your circle where you work. Where you spend your time in hobbies. What does that look like for you? The second question is, where has fear or the need for power or control or maybe even pride kept you from standing in transformative solidarity with others. So often it is fear and it's pride and it's these things that I mentioned, the, the power and the control, the need to have, to have control over our lives, over, over our situations, over the way people perceive us, that keeps us from going and from being Jesus' presence in the world from dwelling among the other, from crossing the tracks, getting out of our safety zones, from standing in transformative solidarity with the others. And then finally, how might God be calling you to be the incarnational love of Jesus in the world? What might God be saying to you about being the incarnational love of Jesus in the world? 
it's important to have truth. We have to speak truth. But the in, in the incarnational love of Jesus lived out in the world, that truth comes in grace, from a purity of love. Sharing it with others, being it for others, not so they become like us, but because they are us and we want to see Jesus work in their lives. So what is God speaking to you? What is God saying to you this morning in these areas? I believe that the Spirit has something for each of us and is calling us to, to specific things in our own unique circles of influence. So what is God saying to you this morning? Would you bow your heads? Lord, again, we're so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful that you move beyond any of the words I can say and that your spirit speaks in spite of, in spite of me, you know, the lack of words or the lack of clarity in any area. You challenge us, you encourage us. And hopefully, you will transform us as we continually submit ourselves to you. And so I pray that right now, Lord. I pray that each of us would come to a place where we would surrender not only to, to the idea of you and you coming and being in the flesh and taking that as good news, but, but to really applying it in our lives, to be transformed to the place of conviction where where we understand that it requires more of us, that it might mean stepping out of places that, that we have, have sought after for ease and comfort, that it might challenge us to cross boundary lines that we're not always comfortable with. It might take us to places where we're not always safe. And it might call us to dwell amongst people that aren't like us, and to live amongst them in grace and truth. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak to us, that you would move us into action to be your incarnate love in the world. Help us, Lord. Help us to take your mission seriously, that your kingdom may come and your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.